So, as is often the case, uh, while I'm editing last week's show that we did, it gives me a, an idea for something we could do this week. So, last week we watched The Rebel, Johnny Yuma, and Firefly, these shows that were about, uh, you know, basically the uh, what happened to the remnants of the South after the Civil War, either the actual Civil War or the future Space Civil War. And while uh, we were yammering about that, I brought up how by 2002, when Firefly came out, uh, you know, Westerns were clearly less prevalent. And I couldn't think of any other big-time Westerns, you know, some movies, but as far as TV shows, nothing was coming to mind. And then throughout the week, as I was, you know, putting all the stuff up, it suddenly occurred to me, oh, wait a second, there was a Western that has always been on my list for shows I've been meaning to watch, so what better time than while we're digging through the Old West through TV? It's this HBO show called Deadwood. You ever heard of that show? Oh, yes. Yes. I have heard of Deadwood. Not bad. Oh, you've seen it? Okay, cool, because mm. I've never seen it. It's yeah. just been on my list. So I've just got the first episode of Deadwood. And, uh, yeah, I'll get some, some factoids and stuff here. But I also thought, because it's a new show, the only thing that's weird about doing new TV is, you know, we can talk about if we liked it or not, but there's like a a crucial element missing that when we do these like kind of diving into TV history, you know, it's like, hey, whether we liked it or not, it's sort of irrelevant. Who really cares? Who are we, right? <laughs> so an extra interesting element is what was the, you know, the, uh, what, it, what was the meaning of this show? Why, what, either if it failed, why did it fail? Or if it succeeded, why did it succeed? It's kind of neat to put it in its place in history where you just kind of can't do that with a modern show because it just doesn't matter. You know, we're kind of in a media flood now. There's so many shows, you know, like take Deadwood, for example. It ran for three seasons. People liked it. They say it got canceled too early. But as far as uh, guiding, you know, the path of TV, it didn't matter at all. <laughs> you know, who cares if it got canceled or didn't get canceled? It's just some show. There's, you know, a million other shows. And I feel like that's the problem we run into with every new show that we watch. Maybe 50 years from now, someone can look back and have a better perspective on Deadwood, but we can't. It's just, just some show. Yeah, and there's so many shows for people to choose from now that, and it's, a, you know, it's your personal taste. Some people would like Deadwood. They'd like the realism of it. Other people would find that realism too, too much realism. They Like, they want to see Harlequin Romance kind of beauty, and, and sometimes that that reality is just, too hard to take so then you shift off to something else and it's so easy to find something else whereas in the good old days of limited television you really didn't have a lot of choice you either watched it or you watched nothing yeah yeah everything would just yeah by because of how things were was just more relevant like even if it's some weird dumont network show that no one remembers and even the network no one remembers it's still sort of more interesting to talk about than anything new. And in the older days when when television was limited, you might see a show that you really like, and one week you see uh, an episode and you think it stinks, and you, you, but, but you watch it again next week. You watch the show because there was nothing else to watch. Right. Now if you see something that you don't like, you just never watch it again, or you flip halfway through. Uh, so yeah, there's there's too much out there almost for you to to give fairness to to shows you really need to watch a number of them and some of them will be bad and some of them will be good but to pass judgment on them uh, just because this week you're watching one and no I don't like that and and then you never watch it again 
maybe it's just having an off week. And definitely the whole situation has totally changed too. Like uh, back in the day, not only were there just fewer shows, but it was way more valuable to catch it on TV because you might never get to see it again. That might be your only chance where even with Deadwood, like I've never heard a bad word about Deadwood. I've always been pretty confident that I will like it, but it came out again 20 years ago and I just haven't gotten around to it because it's not special anymore. You know, like, yeah, I could watch that or I could watch the new Twin Peaks or I could watch this or I could watch that. Like there's so many things. There's, yeah, there's so much variety to choose from that you, you're not given the patience of a long time ago where even if the, even if the episode stunk, you watched it because there, what else was there? So, uh, yeah, so this is the perfect opportunity for me to finally, (laughs) you know, watch Deadwood, but still, yeah, it still kind of leaves me in that spot where I'm like, you know, for the purposes of our podcast, new shows, it's always weird. It never quite works out. So I thought, well, let's just, you know, saddle up an old show to go along with it. So also, since we were talking about Firefly last week and how there's so many characters, there's nine major characters, which is (laughs) way too many. But Joss Whedon, I always remember this quote, even though I've never seen these shows. The explanation he gave was stagecoach, good, wagon train, better. (laughs) So stagecoach had fewer people, wagon train, you know, every week, new people had a bigger cast. So he kind of based Serenity and uh, Firefly on wagon train. So I'm like, well, good enough. Let's get an episode of wagon train. <laughs> so, okay. so we'll watch Deadwood first. And then uh, I've got an episode of wagon train, uh, both of them, the first episode of each series, if anybody wants to watch along at home. But first, yeah, I'll run down the Deadwood details. So it aired on HBO from 2004 to 2006, three seasons with 36 episodes. And like I said, most people thought it got canceled too soon, but they did put out a final movie in 2019 to kind of wrap things up a bit. It's set in the 1870s in Deadwood, South Dakota, which is a real town that was most famous during the gold rush, which I assume is where this is more or less going to, you know, have to do with that, that time period. But to this day, it still has a population of 1,000 people. So, so Deadwood's still going. And the characters are largely based on real historical figures, though the plots are often fictional. However, showrunner David Milch used actual diaries and newspapers from 1870s Deadwood to guide the feel of the show. It was nominated for 28 Emmy Awards and won eight. So, I mean, that all sounds pretty good. (laughs) You know, nothing about that sounds bad. And the only other thing I know about this show is uh, back when it first came out in those earlier days of the internet, I just remember there was this thing floating around where somebody took, I don't know which episode, but just an episode of Deadwood that's, you know, an hour long or whatever, and since this was an HBO show, you know, nowadays swearing is pretty easy to find everywhere. But, you know, at that point, it was still pretty special that it's HBO, you know, home box office. You got to pay for this premium cable network so you get to have swearing. But Deadwood had so much swearing that somebody just cut out the swears, just the swearing and put it together in this one audio file. And the hour long episode, if you only included the swearing, was still a couple minutes long. It was incredible amounts of swearing. (laughs) So maybe it'll seem less obvious when it's sprinkled throughout the episode. But when you hear it back to back, I was like, what the fuck? What is this show? (laughs) So that's what Deadwood was also kind of famous for is just, uh, and I guess uh, critics have kind of questioned, you know, is that necessarily realistic or is that just trying to stand out? Like, hey, man, if you're growing up, you should be watching HBO. You know, it's who knows, hard to say. 
But do you, uh, of the Deadwoods you've seen, do, do you recall that at all? I don't really remember. I, I just remember that I liked it, but I don't remember much detail about it. And I remember it being, yeah, quite a bit of realism in it. Is Well, I, I presume it was realism. Right. I mean, I wasn't there at the time, so I'm presuming it was. But But I remember that I liked it a lot. And I only saw probably one, maybe two episodes of it. And I guess it does kind of tie in, too, to we were also talking last week about maybe it'll be interesting to see how it works out in this case, watching Deadwood and Wagon Train. But there definitely was, in the, the older Westerns, they were a lot more uh, the black and white morality. Like, even if Johnny Yuma was doing wild shit where he's just off his rocker and doing very <laughs> crazy stuff, but, but you still... It was all for his, a good sense of morality. Yeah, yeah, it's very clear that he was the good guy, where you were saying, especially like in the 70s and stuff, like just storytelling changed. It's more, you know, let's get into the nuts and bolts of this person's brain. Yeah. So I presume Deadwood will be more in that modern... In that vein, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you'll have good guys, but they will have bad sides to them, which is life. So yeah, Deadwood Season 1, Episode 1. It's one of those things too, yeah, even though uh, this had always been kind of on my list, I mean, if I hadn't watched it to this point after all these years, who knows, maybe I never would have watched it. So yeah, it's another handy thing about doing a podcast. So yeah, definitely just on a surface level, I mean, definitely uh, a perfect example of what we were saying before of how, you know, back in the day it was the black hats, the white hats, adventure story, good guys and bad guys. And this is the definition of the the muck, just the murk. <laughs> who's good? Who's bad? Everyone's bad. <laughs> you know? It was kind of disjointed too, but I think that was just uh, setting you up for future they're introducing you to people, but not giving you enough that you really can put identities on people. I mean, other than Wild Bill Hickok and, and Calamity <laughs> well, Jane and those people, obviously, they're so well known. That is one thing I thought was funny is, is kind of uh, harsh and brutal and realistic and, you know, the grayness and the murkiness and the moral ambiguity. But it still has a little bit of that adventure feeling in the sense that you really know... Wild Bill Hickok, the dude from Etobicoke, and Swearinger are like, those are, they're just so, just the way they're presented, those are the main guys. Yeah, those are the, like. They'll be the main characters. But it was like watching a um, moving in real time slice of life. Like, let's go into town today and see what, what's happening today in town. And almost moment by moment. Uh, unfolding of various stories that obviously are going to be dealt with in future episodes. Well done in in this, but I found it I found it draggy because yeah. of that real life thing. But as far as realism, God, it was so realistic. Yeah, maybe a little too much, right? Like yeah, a little too like, harsh. Man, sometimes. like I like I said to you earlier, it's not the kind of thing where sometimes you think you watch a movie and say, "Gee, I wouldn't mind going back in time and seeing what that was like." I wouldn't want to go back in time and live in that town. Well, I always find it interesting, too, that, I mean, obviously there is realism, you know, things to take into consideration, but there is always the slant of the writer, you know, like people are deciding how brutal they want their their stories to be. You know, it's up to the writer ultimately. So the very first scene where I never caught the character's name, but Timothy Oliphant's character when he used to be a sheriff, 
and he basically has to hang a guy in front of a, an unruly mob and just yet yeah, sets the tone right away because yeah. you would have expected... And the mob doesn't even care. They just want to hang the guy. And yeah. he's saying, that drop is not, is not enough. I'm going to strangle and struggle for 20 minutes before I go. They don't care. Big deal. Duff, put the rope on him and hang him. Yeah, like it's just kind of uh, like bad in, in all sides. Like the mob, technically they want mob justice. They're not happy though because they, the guy, they didn't really get their justice. But the guy who has been imprisoned, he also doesn't get out of any of this. He still gets killed. And Oliphant, the sheriff, let me just look up his, <laughs> what is his name? I don't want to call him Timothy Oliphant this whole time. Seth Bullock. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't catch that name at all. But anyway, Bullock. <laughs> sheriff Bullock. Yeah, like he's also, he's also like, God damn, this sucks. Like just the, the very first scene sets that everything's going to suck for everybody. <laughs> There's not going to be any resolutions of things. And then I guess once they get into the story proper, yeah, like where it's that extra level brutal is the, the working girl, the prostitute, who just gets the crap beat out of her and has to shoot a guy. And it's like, yeah, like this is not fun. Uh, let's have fun in the old West. That's for sure. <laughs> but I do think like, it's one of those things where I'm going to watch a couple more episodes and see how it grabs me. But I have a feeling I might not make it all the way through, not because of this show specifically, but this has the exact same feeling as every HBO big dramatic series has. Like, I feel like they sort of pioneered this idea that's more common in TV now, but of not the weekly story, not the let's wrap it all up. Instead, it's you got to watch everything because that's the same reason why I bounced off of The Sopranos. It's like, yeah, all these actors are great. This is clearly a well-made show, but it just feels muddled and gray, and nothing yeah. ever feels like Realistic. it's going anywhere. It's yeah. reality. It's and even to this day, though, with uh, Game of Thrones, same exact reason I stopped watching Game of Thrones is it's just everyone's a bad guy. Yeah. Random characters die. Everything's one, muddled. There was no resolution of anything except the hanging at the beginning. Right. I mean, that was the end of that for that guy. But everybody else, you have the impression that these are the openings of stories for them that are going to uh, move into somewhere. Even the family that was returning to Minnesota and gets massacred on the trail, there's a daughter that survives. Or a child, I guess it was a daughter. I, I think it was that little girl at the beginning that you saw sure smile at Calamity Jane. I think that that's that, that daughter. Well, obviously that that's not that story's not resolved either. Right. There's a there's a survivor in that family that is going to surface somewhere further along the road. But I think too, I've watched just because I've watched enough of these HBO shows, and it's just not my style. Like I just don't like things to be so open-ended, I prefer my writing to have more intention, is that none of these stories are going to go anywhere. They just aren't. That's not how HBO does things. Like, they sort of will. Things will sort of resolve, but nothing's going to cleanly resolve ever. And then the show's going to end at season three, and then they're going to have this movie. And like, you know, so I'm going to see how it goes, but I feel like it'll, I probably won't make it all the way. Like, I feel like this is the kind of thing you get a taste of it, and you're like, yeah, this is you appreciate how well made it is and you get that feeling of the old west but if you watch hbo shows to try to get narrative satisfaction you're in the wrong place because it ain't coming <laughs> yeah well i was getting that impression just from watching this first episode that there were so many people introduced that you didn't know who they were how they fit in they just seemed to be roughneck sort of people 
but you had the feeling that something was going to happen to those people, but it didn't happen in episode one. So obviously you've got to watch more to see, does anything happen? Do, do they develop storylines? Uh, and some of them, do we care? No, we don't. Some <laughs> of those people, oh, yuck. Yeah, like it really is such a bummer too. Yeah, we're like right away. Uh, I liked Al Swergen, the guy who runs the saloon. I'm like, oh, that guy seems cool. And then he's stepping on the neck of a prostitute to keep her in line. I'm like, okay, maybe he's not so cool. Mm-hmm. And then his right-hand man guy was Bill from The Last of Us. Like I showed you a little clip from that video game. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Look at that. There's the guy from the game I love. And that's him as an actor. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll hitch my wagon to that guy. He seems pretty cool. And then he, as part of, uh, you know, gold claim shenanigans has to stab a guy in you know (laughs) in cold blood and i'm like okay no he's an asshole too obviously uh you know while bill hickok is not going to be any kind of a uh a saint because he's you know famous for being a gun fighting killing people guy the only dude who's kind of like the good guy is check's name seth bullock (laughs) and But I think he's kind of the most out-of-place actor in the show. I kept kind of bringing up how, like, I've seen that guy in other stuff, and I do like him, but he doesn't fit in the Old West to me. He's too... He's, like, the most clean-cut. He's the most... His character is always just sly glance. Like, uh, you know, hey, I'm one step ahead. But are you? (laughs) I don't think you are. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, like, very, very much an HBO show. Super well done. All the acting's great. The writing's good. Like... What could be better, except that it is just now, such a moral... you mentioned in your introduction. Oh, yeah, right. I personally, I, I, I wasn't offended by the swearing at all. But, yeah, and it wasn't but, as bad as I thought it might be. Well, I, I found it was a little overplayed. Yeah, once in a while it, it crossed over into being funny. It, it was almost, but it was almost like it was too much. It's like, oh, well, now we're making this show about the Wild West. Now we, we've got to put in these swearing words. I think it would have been more effective with just having that occasionally happen but every once in a while some guy would come out and every second word was well you know everything (laughs) (laughs) i guess though i kind of liked yeah like maybe if it had been because yeah everyone pretty blanketly swears throughout the whole thing but there were cases where it fit better absolutely the drunk irish guy or calamity jane just somewhere it was just perfect and i can't imagine them trying to pull it off without having those swear words in it but there were other points where i thought oh oh man okay we got the point that the guy is free and easy with the curse words, but he just does it again and again and again. Too much. Like, yeah. just say what you're going to say, buddy. And uh, so sometimes I got the feeling that they were maybe going for a little bit of shock element there. Yeah, yeah, they could have pulled it back a little bit, which I guess I was saying how it's uh, there's less historical, you know, information to pull from a newer show. But there is still a bit because, yeah, this was how nowadays with streaming services and Netflix and Amazon Prime or whatever, it's much more common for shows to feel like this. But at this point, HBO were the only ones that were the premium network you have to subscribe to. It's for grown-ups. So all of this stuff, the idea that each episode flows into the next, you don't have week-to-week resolutions, and you're allowed to swear. This was purely HBO that could do this. So, man, did they do it. <laughs> like they did, the no half measures there. And also, I guess, what's interesting of this particular era, I mentioned it right away, but uh, is the desaturated look, because that was the thing for a long time, probably for about 10 years after this. But my favorite example is if you watch Treasure Island, 
The one from the 50s is really bright and colorful and, you know, the big tropical island and the painted backdrops, like when they're on the, the pirate ship, most of the backgrounds are paintings, but everything is very bright. Then they made one in the 90s where Christian Bale was a kid, but he was in it, where everything just kind of looks normal. Normal color levels, not especially bright, not especially gray. But then they made a version in 2012 where everything is gray as shit and there's never the color red ever, you know, it's just like like this but even worse and uh yeah just that that's very noticeable here that if that was like the thing that everybody thought was cool it's like yeah let's make everything colorless because it's so cool the trouble with it though is sometimes it was so dark it was hard to see who who characters were but then i put that down to that realist realism that they were trying to get like oftentimes you figure when they lit all those candles and they had uh, the torches and things going you kind of got the impression that that's the only light they were using. They weren't putting artificial light in to brighten up a scene so that they could film it. It's almost like they were filming it in that realistic candlelit torch. Yeah, which I'm sure they weren't because the cameras would have picked up nothing, but they did make it look like that. They They did a good job of it. They did an excellent job at, at you making you feel that it you were in a town and it was dark at night there was only a little light over in the corner that was shining um which is what it is like when there is no light yeah so much so that yeah like i'd really started thinking about fire hazards like i i don't know i thought of that too i said my good lord look at all those candles burning man if somebody just turned those over yeah like i'm surprised it wasn't common to have water like to put your candle in a you know, in the center of a, a plate of water or something, just so if it does fall or some over. some kind of a protective element around it, like their uh, their oil lanterns, of course, have the glass globes on them, which is, that's, about a gla- that's what they look like. But there was nothing protecting those candles. They were just burning away there. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like I was saying, uh, yeah, when I grabbed this episode, I grabbed a couple more. So I figure just while I'm at home doing stuff, you know, I'll definitely watch some more. But uh but yeah, I'll be surprised if I make it all the way through. I guess as far as those other examples, like I really bounced off hard on The Sopranos and on Game of Thrones because in both cases, I found them so meandering that I'm like, I just don't have time for this. I do think I would like Deadwood more just because I like the setting better. I like the general vibe better. I like I like everything about it better. I just honestly don't care that much about uh, the mafia or dragons. <laughs> so I like it this better. But it still has that that HBO let's just run on the treadmill for weeks and weeks and weeks <laughs> feeling. And then we're done. Yeah, and then it just will stop, yeah. Man, The Sopranos was so bad for that. I'm sure no one will mind. Like, that show's so famous, you know, that it's going to spoil the ending, though, of The Sopranos right now, in case anybody is concerned about that. But, yeah, that show literally just stopped. It was just uh, Tony Soprano and his family at a diner, and they're eating, and it just cuts to black. And it was so abrupt that people thought their cable had gone out. Like, it was such an abrupt, pointless ending that people thought it was a mistake. (laughs) Like, that's not good. And then Game of Thrones, everybody complained that the last season of that show was no good, but, but, I mean, they were really telegraphing it because, like, the, the big shock in Game of Thrones is that the main king gets beheaded in the first season. And now we're dealing with someone else. And then they get killed. So now we're dealing with someone else. Like, of course, that's not going to have a satisfying ending because everyone you cared about it died three seasons ago. You know, and it's this HBO balance they try to pull of like, yeah, but we're not like other TV. Look at the crazy shit we do. 
but I honestly don't think it works. I don't think it's, I think a little more traditional storytelling would go a long way. But hey, they know what they, they know what they like and that's what they like. <laughs> and this is one of those, like unequivocally, there's no question. So yeah, Wagon Train, you uh, have any experiences with Wagon Train? I remember the name. I don't think I watched many Wagon Trains. Yeah, I certainly didn't. Like I said at the start, I only know it because of its association with Firefly that it was... Who were the stars in it? So here's the cast of Wagon Train. See if you know any of these people. Robert Horton. Oh, yeah, Robert Horton. Okay, yeah. Frank McGrath. Um, Know the face, but don't know the name. Denny Miller. Mm, Can't place him. Ward Bond. Oh, yeah, that guy, yeah. Terry Wilson, no. And I think those are the main ones because there's uh, the whole thing with this this show is that it's all about guest stars, really. So uh, it had a big cast technically, but not necessarily every week. It's like, a, oh, Clue Gulliger. <laughs> I just know that name. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him in, uh, you know, kind of detective type things or... I know him from horror movies. I can't think of what, though, right off. Let me just check, though, because, yeah, I definitely know his name. Used to me, he was in, always in shows like... Uh, the love boat and you know guest stars on those kind of things oh here we go uh he was in nightmare on elm street part two freddy's revenge the secretly gayest movie of all time oh and return of the living dead yeah so i totally know him just as horror movie guy but yeah okay so wagon train aired from 1957 to 1965 eight seasons 284 episodes Wagon Train is the fictional adventure story of a large westbound wagon train <laughs> through the American Old West. Let me say that again. This is a terrible job. Wagon Train is the fictional... <laughs> I'm still going to do the voice. I just wasn't really putting my all into it. Wagon Train is the fictional adventure story of a large westbound wagon train through the American Old West from Missouri to California. Its format attracted different famous guest stars per episode as travelers or as residents of the settlements they encountered. The series was inspired by a 1950s John Ford film called Wagon Master and the 1930s film The Big Trail, which was John Wayne's first starring role. And the series influenced the development of Star Trek, which was originally pitched as Wagon Train to the Stars. Oh, really? Yeah, so, so this show was uh, famous enough that they're like, hey, let's do a sci-fi version. I think what he meant specifically is that it would be, you know, a, a vehicle for weekly adventures that could include famous guest stars you know you could just plug them right in because wagon train i think that was its kind of big claim to fame is pretty much every week it was who's gonna be on wagon train this week what famous person so wagon train was very expensive each episode costing about 40 percent more than its contemporaries and this allowed it to afford its expensive guest stars but also to film on location in california san fernando valley so uh, i don't actually know much else besides that just, you know, wagon train. <laughs> I can't tell you anything much about it because I, I I don't know that I ever, I don't think I ever saw any wagon train shows. Right. I just know the name. Well, that's, I guess, partially, uh, partially what we're doing here is now we will know. <laughs> At least we'll know a little. We'll know whoever was the guest star of episode one of Wagon Train. So yeah, we're going to watch episode one, season one. Yeah, and I guess I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't really get into the details, but there definitely are John... John uh, Ford connections for sure. He didn't wasn't directly involved in this, but uh, that that guy who was the main guy, Ward Bond. Yeah, he was in a lot of John Ford stuff, and I guess through his John Ford connections that helped get various guest stars and stuff. Oh, the episode is called the Willie Moran story.
Yeah, that was definitely very much the opposite of Deadwood, right? <laughs> of like that was super traditional of like uh you know the, the obviously the wagon master he's he's tough but he's fair you know he's got to keep this wagon in line and then the guest star of this episode i was pleased to see was ernest borgnine because like i was saying as we watched it i only know him from this one episode of the simpsons where he's you know part of the scout troop with flanders and uh homer but i've seen that episode so many times that uh, i feel familiar with him even though it's only that one thing and it's like yeah there he is like the gap in the teeth, the way he talks, like that's <laughs> that's the Ernest Borgnine I remember from my childhood, all right. But how he's, uh, you know, he's uh, obviously got, uh, gotten a little rattled because uh, since the war, just like everybody. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, I guess he had some kind of life as a professional fighter. But at this point, he's, you know, uh, under the influence of the drink. Yeah, he's an alcoholic. But he's, you know, just uh, deep down he's a good guy and you know and he doesn't mean no harm and yeah, like a lot of that type of well, sh- well shucks sir I, I sure don't mean no harm you know yeah. I didn't mean nothing and, by and it. it's very clear as to who are the good guys and who are the bad guys yeah, yeah these, these bad guys on this wagon train yeah that they're like setting up to sabotage the wagon train so that they're uh, no good confederate leftovers basically can uh, come fight the wagon train but yeah just so evil <laughs> more and more evil over and over so yeah, it's uh, a lot more clearly delineated, obviously, than the zero delineation of Deadwood. Yeah, it just couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more black and white, which I guess is just just how things were about back the then. The setting on the field, out in the where where did you say they did that? Uh, uh, somewhere in California. Yeah, California, some canyon in California. The expense we were saying earlier, the ex- or during the show, the expense that it would t- that it would cost in getting that show produced would be intense yeah uh, the san fernando valley yeah, san fernando it. the equipment you'd have to drag out there the horses the wagons well i mean that that's all pretty much par for the course but just the the setting itself uh be really really expensive and to produce that and it's uh it was a bigger wagon train even than i expected it was a lot of freaking wagons <laughs> so, which is kind of neat too because even right just from the very start of the episode i I feel like I learned a, a bunch of stuff about wagon train etiquette or whatever, just how it functions that I didn't know where, uh, you know, Ward, the, uh, the, the wagon master is like, uh, you know, where's your other driver? We can't go without, you know, you got to have a backup driver because, you know, obviously you can't drive the whole time and the guy's backup driver didn't show up. So he's like, you're off the wagon train. And some other guy is like, why am I always at the back? And it's like, cause you got cargo that no one else wants to smell or whatever but he's the manure guy or whatever so you get to be at the back you get all the dust too bad that's what you get and it's the like thing oh. that i had never seen in any of those before is uh, they actually had a little cattle drive that they were taking with them and when you think about it well they've got to feed themselves going across the prairie um i'm presuming they slaughtered that some of that cattle along the way i mean usually you think of cattle drives are cattle drives you don't think of them in connection with a wagon train but this one had the wagon train going across, and it had cattle that they were also driving west. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that, I mean, I guess I've just seen in movies, but I just I never thought about it, but I realized I don't know anything about how it works. Like, I know shepherds with sheep, it's just so that they'll graze in different places. Is that what's going on with with cattle as well? Like, where are they driving them they're to? They're usually driving them. They, they raise them. Mo- mo- usually those cattle drives, they're raising them in, on the prairie or wherever, and then they're taking them down to the slaughterhouses in Texas, down south. They're always, they always seem to be going south. So they must uh, graze up in 
Montana, Dakotas, and those places, and then they drive them to the south. Right. And they go to auction or they go to um, slaughterhouses to provide meat for the country. And then the other thing with this is that, uh, you know, again, it's just a, a story of the time. It would be weird if they, if they didn't tell a story this way. But, but you know, this idea that uh, Ernest Borgnine's character, who's the drunk who uh, used to be a great man, you know, he knew the wagon master in the war, and now he's got the drinking problems. It's this that uh, that is a nice story. It's a nice idea of like ah, that guy fighting against his demons, and deep down he's a good and guy. And the love of a good woman is gonna right. pull him through at the end, yeah. and it does. And it's one of those things. It's sort of a nice inspirational story. But man, like, not that I'm the oldest person in the world, but in my forty odd years on this earth, it's just never the case. Like anyone who has like substance abuse problems or various addictions or mental problems, any of these things. They're always the worst people. And I know it's not necessarily their fault, but they're never, oh, deep down, it's a good person. I've, I can't think of a single example. <laughs> so, so the stories like that, man, they don't work for me anymore, you know? <laughs> like, it's a nice idea. But, and it's not like they really did anything to help him. He just, he just, just cold turkeyed it and he just stopped drinking. And it's like, man, I just, I wish I could believe in that. <laughs> yeah, but he did it because he had their, re- he, he had full respect for the cattle driver or the, um, the wagon master. The wagon master. And he was getting an interest in this, in this woman. And you also get the impression that some of why he turned to alcohol. Because he said, he said, if you can take it two ways. He's talking to her and he tells her that he has these headaches that come and go. Well, is that because he's got a hangover or, or withdrawal from the alcohol? Or is it because of the fighting that he was in where he suffered a bit of damage to the head? Um, and there's all kinds of stories about guys, you know, wrestlers and boxer, boxing guys and that who suffer injury, head injuries, and turn to abuse of substances to kind of help that along. So you kind of get a little hint with him that um, he's just not an alky or he's just not somebody who maybe has some PSTD or whatever from the war. He's got these other issues from as a result of the fighting. Right. But either way, yeah, it's still the, uh, again, the opposite of Deadwood where, uh, you know, all the these harsh, brutal people, these characters in Deadwood that are doing all this terrible stuff to the point that it's like, I wish you'd kind of tone it down a little. Does everyone have to be an asshole? But that's, on the other hand, with Wagon Train, you know, definitely the insinuation at the end is, ah, he's going to get himself together and he's got this chick that seems to like him and stuff and everything's going to be great. Where all I can see is like the continuing decades and decades of substance abuse and random violence and crazy shit. And it's like, that's what's really going to happen. <laughs> but but you can't tell that story in 1959. No one wants to hear it, <laughs> you know? So, And nowadays, no one wants to hear it either. But nowadays, they will tell you that, though. And it was typical of the of the Western movies of, of that time. You know, you had a good horse riding, shoot them up, shoot the bad guys. You had a lot, you had a, you had a lot of that stuff, which was pretty standard for the time. Yeah, in that sense, it was actually the most stereotypical Western we've seen. Because, yeah, I'm seeing all these things that I recognize as parodies of. Well, let's just go to The Simpsons again. If they show a Wild West shootout when they go visit an Old West theme park or something in The Simpsons, all those cliches are in this of everyone's just hiding behind a rock or a barrel or something, just constantly shooting. And uh, then if you do get shot, you got to grab your heart. Oh! and fall down but also that the good guys took so few casualties 
they were almost untouched. Like even uh, the the bad guys that were infiltrating the wagon train to sabotage it. One of those guys is he's like getting found out, so he shoots one of the dudes. But even that guy, they say, "Oh, don't worry, he just got shot in the shoulder. He'll be fine." It's like, no, no fucking way. The guy was right next to him, intending to kill him. Why did he get shot in the shoulder? The only person who died on the good guy side, because even yeah, like they get blitzed from the side when half the wagon train is missing and they're total sitting ducks and yet they still fight off the bad guys the bad guys half of them die nobody in the good guys side yeah, dies. That, the, the fellow at the end the uncle of the female interest and he's just hiding behind a fancy chair oh yeah and it's <laughs> yeah. not even an overstuffed chair that gives him lots of protection it looks like a kitchen chair that's got a, a cushioned seat that's so it i was starting to think maybe nobody from the good guy side would even get hurt but there was one guy during the height of the most you know both sides are full force just shooting at each other one guy on the good guy side does the oh clutches yeah. himself and falls down but he was just some guy he was just in the middle of the wagon train he wasn't really anybody because I, th- I guess they thought it's like a little too ridiculous if there's no casualties so they just threw in one but yeah that's definitely also yeah the good guys can't lose <laughs> So yeah, man, not a bad show. But Very entertaining, though. And yeah, you can definitely feel the budget. I think that's probably the coolest part about it is that, yeah, they filmed everything out. I wonder how many, just imagine all the B-roll they had of all these shots they couldn't use because one of the horses didn't do what they wanted. Because it's not just, again, one horse or one wagon. It's a whole crap load of them. Like, this show must have been a pain in the butt to make. But yeah, from a storytelling standpoint, I feel like... Uh, Gunsmoke and Bonanza, both in their own ways, have a lot more to offer. I can't imagine Wagon Train really being worth your time, but visually, very, very nice. And again, who knows, just one episode. But again, if it's weekly, new guest star. Well, that's the other thing, I guess. I was a little concerned right at the end. I kind of thought, because uh, as a final way to prove that he's he's a worthwhile man, uh, Ernest Borgnine does this fancy maneuver inspired by... The, you know, back when we were at Gettysburg, I uh, remember our mortars. So he runs up behind the bad guys with a big powder keg and kind of makes a makeshift mortar, throws it at him. I kind of expected him to get killed there. <laughs> like maybe the powder keg would get shot and he'd get exploded or something. Yeah, or at the point, there's one point he's, he's standing up and he's got the powder keg above his head, totally exposed. And the people that are down below know he's there at that point in time because Buddy was going to go off to kill him. And when he's standing up, he's totally exposed. Uh, there's his chest wide open and this barrel above his head. And I thought right then, if they're going to shoot him, that's when they're going to do it. Right. But so that's where, yeah, I get the feeling. Nobody even took a shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's where I really get the, the sense that if you watched, you know, 100 episodes of Wagon Train, it's probably going to just be that formula over and over. There's going to uh, yeah, be a, a, a famous guest star. Nothing bad's going to happen to them. <laughs> Move on to the next famous guest star. Yeah, so so of the Westerns we've watched, in that sense, this seems like the lightest one. Yeah, and even at that point when, when Borgnine has got the powder keg, here's these other bad guys and they're all shooting. And, and one guy, the, the guy that's been the creep all along. No, no, hold up, I'm going to go get this guy. And he sneaks up the hill to go and get the guy. Well, and then he gets shot. <laughs> and the other guys that are all there... They don't do anything. Now, you think that they'd say, hey, buddy got shot. Now, let's shoot that guy who's standing up there on the hill who's holding the powder keg above his head. But they don't. What are they, stupid? So they just all hang out there. The powder keg comes down at them, blows them up. <laughs> I wonder, too, if... Uh, I mean, it's a little hard. bit of a weakness in the plot there, I think. And I'm only guessing about the uh, 
politics of television back then because I don't really know. But remember when we did Gunsmoke specifically? I mean, Gunsmoke the show was pretty harsh too, but that it was based on that radio serial that was even more gritty and realistic, and that they uh, they even turned away sponsors because they wanted to keep the show at that level of harsherness, more harsh, more realistic. Where Wagon Train, I, I guess, is just the exact opposite right it's like this is the one we're putting all our money into this is the one where we have a famous guest star every week this is not the place to be hanging them high and lynching people and dealing with uh, social issues you know this is not it this is wagon train